Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A few top lawmakers have gained access to classified documents found at President Biden and former President Trump's homes. What they did to pressure the Justice Department, which refused to turn over the documents at first. The Manhattan District Attorney and House Republicans are at odds over Trump's prosecution. The DA is filing a lawsuit to stop a subpoena. Several countries named in the leaked Pentagon documents say they're not accurate. How the U.S. is managing foreign relations and the latest on who leaked the documents. Updates on the Kentucky bank shooting. Police reveal a possible motive and details about the shooting. And one of the expelled Tennessee Democrats returns to the State House. This comes as the governor calls for a so-called red flag bill on gun control. Members of the Congressional Gang of Eight have now gained access to the classified documents found at the homes of President Biden and former President Trump. It comes after months of pressure since Trump's home was raided by the FBI last August. NTD's Iris Tao has more. A bipartisan group of top lawmakers is now getting access to the classified documents found at the private homes of President Biden, former President Trump, as well as former Vice President Mike Pence. It comes after classified documents were found at homes or private offices of all three men. Lawmakers have been pressing for months now to get access to those documents, with some senators even threatening to block funding to the Justice Department in recent weeks. And it's not just Republicans. Some Democrats are also increasingly voicing frustration over what they call a lack of transparency on this matter. Watch. We have a constitutional responsibility to see those documents, the classified ones, make a judgment whether the intelligence community did appropriate protection. And I am done with the lack of willingness for the, the administration to address this. Democratic Senator Mark Warner is part of the Congressional Gang of Eight, now granted access. The Gang of Eight refers to the top four leaders of Congress, as well as the heads of the Senate and House Intelligence Committees. But before this, the Justice Department had initially rejected the committee's request to turn over the documents. And Attorney General Merrick Garland said last month that the department was trying to reach a balance. Uh, we do have to balance the concerns of uh, ongoing criminal investigations. Uh, but we also well recognize the oversight responsibilities and obligations of the committee. The lawmakers insist they're not trying to obtain details of the investigations. Instead, they say they're trying to look into the national security fallout of classified documents not being stored properly. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. And documents obtained by America First Legal Foundation suggest that the Biden White House was involved in the FBI raid on Trump's Florida home. A senior counselor at the foundation said it appears that either the DOJ or the FBI initiated an unusual request for access to the records at Mar-a-Lago. NTD's Arlene Richards has more details. Since August 2022, legal watchdog America First Legal has been conducting a Freedom of Information Act investigation of the raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. A key component of the investigation has been to obtain communications from the National Archives and Records Administration relating to the 15 boxes of records that were maintained at Mar-a-Lago. 
In a press release published on Monday, the AFL provided an internal email exchange at the archives, which appears to be discussing arrangements made with the White House for access to the Trump records through a special access request. AFL senior counselor Reed Rubenstein explains how the request works. Typically, it's, it refers to a request by uh, an incoming or a current president for access to ministerial or procedural records from a prior administration. Things like, for example, ethics uh, policies or uh, other things of that nature. He said it was previously reported that the FBI obtained access to the records after the Archives Office of Inspector General referred the case to them. But at no time did the Archives or anybody else affiliated with this matter process say uh, that actually that, that there had been a request from the White House for the former president's records and that the FBI was acting pursuant to or in response to such a request. Rubenstein said he doesn't know who actually made the request, but... Uh, we certainly have enough evidence uh, to, to support the, the notion that um, there is a highly uh, politicized Department of Justice that works very closely with elected officials in, in, in the Congress, and it works very closely with appointed officials in the Biden White House. As a result of this new finding, the AFL is now demanding that the archives turn over records related to the White House's involvement in the Mar-a-Lago raid. We reached out to the DOJ, the National Archives, and the White House for comment, but did not receive a response by airtime. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Tensions are escalating between Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and House Republicans. Bragg is suing Republican Congressman Jim Jordan. Jordan is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Bragg accuses Jordan of trying to interfere in his case against former President Trump. Last week, Jordan subpoenaed Mark Pomerantz, a former senior prosecutor who worked for the Manhattan DA. The House Judiciary Committee wants Pomerantz to testify on his role investigating Trump and the Trump Organization. Now Bragg is seeking to block the subpoena. In a statement, Bragg called the subpoena, quote, an unconstitutional attempt to undermine an ongoing New York felony criminal prosecution and investigation. House Republicans say they believe this prosecution of Trump is politically motivated. They're planning to hold a hearing in New York City on Bragg's policies next week. The lawmakers argue that Trump is being prosecuted while violent crime is not. And more details revealed on the Kentucky bank shooting. The interim Louisville Metro Police Chief said today that the shooter legally bought an AR-15-style rifle at a local gun dealership six days before he used it to kill five of his colleagues at a downtown bank. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known so far. Authorities say the shooter started killing colleagues at a morning meeting around 8.30 a.m. before the bank opened to the public. Police say four employees were initially killed in the attack. Another passed away from her injuries Monday night after undergoing multiple surgeries, bringing the death toll up to five. That left eight injured, including two police officers. One was shot in the head during the shootout. That officer is 26-year-old rookie Nicholas Wilt. He's in critical but stable condition after having brain surgery. Wilt was new to the force, graduating from the police academy late last month. Police say the shooter is dead, but are still trying to confirm if he was killed by officers or a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The shooting was live-streamed on Instagram and has since been taken down. Police identified the suspect as 23-year-old Connor Sturgeon. 
His LinkedIn page says he worked at the bank as an intern for three summers from 2018 to 2020. His profile says he became a full-time employee as a portfolio banker in 2022. A law enforcement official says Sturgeon learned he was going to be fired and wrote a note to his parents and a friend about his intentions to shoot at the bank. It's not yet clear if the note was seen before or after the shooting. The suspect's home in Louisville was searched after the attack. Officials say an AR-15-style rifle was used in the shooting. The White House repeated its calls for more gun control Monday night. We need to act and we need Republicans to show some courage, Republicans in Congress. President Biden's gun control wish list includes banning so-called assault weapons in high-capacity magazines, laws requiring safe storage of firearms, background checks for all gun sales, and the elimination of gun manufacturers' immunity from liability. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And over in Tennessee, one of the Democratic lawmakers expelled last week has returned to the state house. Gun control measures continue to be a main focus of the Tennessee legislature. Democratic lawmaker Justin Jones was sworn back into the Tennessee State House just four days after being expelled with fellow Democrat Justin Pearson. The City Council of Nashville, which Jones represents, voted unanimously on Monday to reinstate him. The lawmaker is now calling for the Tennessee House Speaker, a Republican, to resign. Jones said he will also continue to call for gun control measures. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, a Republican, is also speaking out. He's calling on lawmakers to pass a so-called red flag law and said he would sign an executive order to strengthen background checks for gun buyers. The other expelled lawmaker, Pearson, could also get reinstated when the Shelby County Commission meets tomorrow. And several countries are now speaking out about the leaked documents that appear to be from the Pentagon. They're saying the information in the documents isn't true. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. We don't know how big or how bad it can get. I mean, U.S. national security agencies are assessing the damage to relations with allies in other countries after what appears to be classified documents from the Pentagon leaked online. For example, one of the documents classified as top secret says Egyptian officers were planning to provide 40,000 rockets to Russia. Former Defense Secretary Mark Esper said that Egypt used to buy weapons from Russia. Because we give them over a billion dollars a year in, in assistance and to see them turn around and then use their own uh, currency to buy Russian arms was troubling for me. And this is just another, you know, another example of, uh, of, of a par so-called partner dealing with the Russians. Now, we don't know whether it's true or not, so we need to get to the bottom of that. And I think this will be an oversight question for Congress. A senior Egyptian official denied the allegations, according to Egyptian state-affiliated media. And Britain's Ministry of Defense gave a statement on Tuesday. They said there was a serious level of inaccuracy contained in the documents. And another country the U.S. was allegedly spying on is South Korea. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin recently spoke with South Korea's defense minister, Lee Jong-soo, according to a Pentagon official. South Korea's deputy national security advisor said this about their meeting. The defense ministers of the two countries spoke on the phone this morning and agreed that they have the same views. Much of the disclosed information was fabricated. One more country now affected by the leak is the United Arab Emirates. The leaked document titled Russia-UAE Intelligence Relationship Deepening shows Russian intelligence officers bragging that they convinced the UAE to work together and against U.S. and U.K. intelligence agencies. On Monday, the Emirati government said the claims that the UAE had deepened ties with Russian intelligence was categorically false. 
The United States believes the person who leaked the documents is most likely an American due to the classification levels. And U.S. officials are now going through printing records to try to obtain more information about who could be behind the leak. Jason Perry, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, California is stockpiling an abortion pill. The state insists on keeping its abortion sanctuary status after a judge in Texas tried to restrict access to another abortion pill. And Brittany Griner's WNBA season starts up next month, but the league's biggest star has other plans right now. We'll have the latest on her and more coming up. Over to the West Coast, California is stockpiling misoprostol, an abortion pill. The move comes after a U.S. district judge in Texas ordered the FDA to pause approval of mifepristone, another abortion pill. Governor Gavin Newsom announced on Monday that California secured an emergency stockpile of 2 million misoprostol pills, a commonly used abortion medication. This comes after a Texas judge sought to block access to mifepristone, another abortion pill. In a statement, Newsom said, we will not cave to extremists who are trying to outlaw these critical abortion services. Medication abortion remains legal in California. On Friday, U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek ordered a federal approval to stop the FDA from approving mifepristone. It would remove the drug from pharmacy shelves across the country. The FDA first approved mifepristone in 2000, which is taken with misopristol. The Texas ruling came the same day as another judge in Washington state, in a separate case, made another ruling on mifepristone. Here to discuss the broader implications of these rulings and offer his insight is Dr. Scott Atlas. Dr. Atlas previously advised the White House Coronavirus Task Force, and he now serves as a senior fellow at Stanford's Hudson Institute. He's also a contributor to the Epic Times, and I spoke with him earlier today. Dr. Scott Atlas, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on again. Yeah, happy to be here. Now, on Friday, we saw judges in two separate cases overrule the FDA on the abortion drug mifepristone. What concerns you about this? Well, you know, just for background, there's two conflicting cases. One is in Texas, where a judge uh, tried to overrule the approval process for the this abortion drug essentially because uh, at least one point was that that approval process is supposed to be used for serious life-threatening illnesses, and pregnancy, of course, is not that. Uh, the second case is a Washington state case where a dozen states uh, signed on to a suit that is challenging, that wants to keep the FDA approval, but is challenging the restrictions on the uh, dispensation of the drug. Uh, that and that was those were implemented for safety reasons. So we have a very interesting situation that indicates two serious problems. The judges now have lost trust in the federal government health and science authorities. I mean, this stems from uh, really it's a manifestation of what we saw from COVID, where there was inappropriate guidance, wrong guidance by the federal authorities, 
Uh, and, and this is a sort of a remnant of that. The second problem is we now are in a society that the, the way to change these things is simply to go to the courts. So the courts are now the vehicle used to change uh, what should not be a territory of the courts, again, an indication of a whole society losing trust in federal uh, science authorities. So what do you think concerned parties should do if they want to challenge a decision by the FDA? Well, there's really only one way to do that, and that is through the court system. So uh, it's, it's, it's appropriate. It's part of our country to be able to, you know, uh, bring lawsuits or sue decisions that are wrong, and they should be sorted out through an impartial law-abiding judiciary. And that's what I hope we still have. So, yes, it's fine that these states or whoever the plaintiffs were, uh, you know, went through the court system if they want to challenge the FDA. But uh, let's hope that the courts, unelected officials, are not overruling uh, what should be legitimate uh, scientific guidance. So do you have any final thoughts on this to share with our viewers? Sure. The you know, my final thoughts are sort of big picture in this, and that is this is, a again, a, a restatement of what we've seen from the management of the pandemic, where we as an American society really uh, have seen how flawed our public health leaders are, how our science advisors are politicized, are denying science evidence, and all of these things with their, with their inappropriate mandates, et cetera, and overstepping of government authority have created a very serious loss of trust. I think we have a big hole now in the United States. Uh, you know, we, we need good people to step forward. We need leaders to really put in, uh, you know, ways to have conflicts of interest that are clear, clearly voiced to the public. We need to regain trust when there is a crisis and there will be more crises we need to be able to uh, have trust in objective guidance from our leaders. Uh, so transparency uh, and other things are really urgently needed right now. So specific actions to make that happen, what, what are you seeing? Well, I, I think we need, we need leaders to, uh, to make some changes. We need to make sure that the CDC, that the FDA are advisory and not law setters. Uh, you know, we need to have leaders understand uh, that conflicts of interest cannot be hidden. For instance, I'll give it as one example, NIH receives a certain amount of, uh, of money uh, as part of intellectual property rights from new drug discoveries, yet we as American public are not entitled to see who got what money. And financial corruption, of course, is a problem in decision making. Uh, you know, we need to put term limits into people who lead these government agencies. There's no uh, reason why somebody should be in a position of such authority over science funding, uh, over drug trials for 30 plus years, like people like Dr. Fauci. So we need term limits and things. And, you know, we need more transparency uh, in a variety of ways. We need a, a declaration of public health emergency that is clear and time limited. We cannot have an unending public health emergency uh, that lasts for years when there is no emergency, yet that is an excuse to uh, to put forward mandated, you know, behavior limits, et cetera, on American uh, people. And we need to make sure that any kind of health guidance 
first and foremost, does not override the Constitution. We have freedoms. We have assured freedoms. They are not circumvented even in times of emergencies. Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution and former advisor for the White House Coronavirus Task Force and Epic Times contributor. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And staying in California, Whole Foods closed its flagship location in San Francisco on Monday due to safety concerns. Many social media videos of brazen crime and the recent murder of a high-profile tech executive have brought the issue of public safety into the spotlight once again. After being open for just over a year, Whole Foods has closed its downtown San Francisco store on Monday due to crime. The store is located near Civic Center, just about a block from an area many dubbed to be a 24-hour open-air drug market. The SF Standard reported that a Whole Foods spokesperson said the closing isn't a permanent decision and that, quote, if we feel we can ensure the safety of our team members in the store, we will evaluate a reopening. The closing comes less than a week after tech founder Bob Lee was found stabbed and murdered and brings up issues of crime and safety in the city. San Francisco Supervisor Matt Dorsey, whose district includes the area of the Whole Foods, tweeted that he is disappointed but sadly unsurprised about the news. He said, quote, our neighborhood waited a long time for this supermarket, but we're also well aware of problems they've experienced with drug-related retail theft, adjacent drug markets, and the many safety issues related to them. He added he's working on legislation with Supervisor Catherine Stephanie to get the San Francisco police fully staffed within five years. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. And now to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. After just a week and a half of play, the new baseball rules seem to be working as the average game time is down more than half an hour from last season. In addition, batting averages are up 16 points as the infield shifts have been effectively banned. Meanwhile, stolen base attempts are up from one per game last year to 1.3, and players are having a higher success rate stealing them. The game was revolutionized in the offseason with pitch clocks implemented, infield positions limited to two on each side of second base, and limits on how many times a pitcher could try to pick off a runner, all in an attempt to add more action. And in women's basketball news, WNBA star Brittany Griner has announced plans to write a memoir about her imprisonment in Russia. The seven-time All-Star was detained in February of 2022 on drug possession charges and was eventually sentenced to nine years before a prisoner swap brought her home. Griner says she hopes the book will raise the awareness of other Americans held overseas. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA will start the play-in tournament with the two seven versus eight seed games as the Miami Heat host the Atlanta Hawks in the East, while the Minnesota Timberwolves play at the Lakers in the West. The winners advance to the playoffs with the losers each giving one more chance to win on Friday. And in baseball, busy night. All 30 teams are in action, including the lone undefeated one left, the Tampa Bay Rays, who at 10-0 are off to the best start of any team in more than three decades. They host the Boston Red Sox. And finally, for you hockey fans, another big night in the NHL. Ten games, including one with the Boston Bruins, who with two games left, can extend their record for most wins in a season. Meanwhile, they're also just one point behind Montreal's season record of 132. They host the Washington Capitals. 
And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, over to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.